Welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute Podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance, which is a large collaborative research network that combines many academic institutions and healthcare systems collaborating on precision oncology research, leveraging the big data that we've accumulated over the years. Currently, we have almost a quarter million molecularly profiled patients linked with outcomes. And this big data, the de-identified data set, is being leveraged for clinical research purposes, hoping to advance the science and to improve the outcomes of patients with cancer. So you're tuning in to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast, and my guest today will be Dr. David Spetzler, who is the president and the chief scientific officer of Keras Life Sciences. And I specifically wanted this episode to focus on the liquid biopsy and liquid profiling. What's coming down the pike. And uh, we really are going to hear from David a little bit about um, what this assay is all about, what we're trying to accomplish, what the opportunities are, and why we should all be excited about the liquid profiling that is coming in. So really, I'm very much looking forward to this episode and to sharing it with you. And of course, before I air the episode, I'll have to plug the show by making sure you find us on all podcast outlets. You can also rate the show, subscribe to the show, and write a brief review. I would be eternally grateful if you do so. And without further ado, Dr. David Spetzler on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Okay, well, it's really a pleasure to host Dr. David Spetzler on today's podcast. So Dr. Spetzler was my first guest when we launched this podcast a while back, and he is joining us again on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. We're going to talk about some of the new uh, things on the horizon in terms of Keras pipeline with a little bit of focus on liquid biopsy and liquid profiling. Uh, David, welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. So it, we must have done a good job that you agreed to come in again on the show, but uh, a little bit of background to folks who are listening to you. But, and, and for the record, the episode that we aired when you were our guest is one of our top three episodes. So uh, you have a high bar to achieve now. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me back, Chadi. So I'm the president and chief scientific officer for Keras Life Sciences. I've worked for the company for the last 12 years. Um, I was hired as an entry-level bioinformatics scientist. So I'm a mathematician and molecular cellular biologist by training. Um, please don't hold that against me. Uh, and I've really been focusing on the development of all of our new technologies um, throughout my career. And so it's a pleasure to be here today to, to really talk about some of the advances that we've made in the liquid biopsy space um, and how that's going to be able to help improve patient outcomes. And David, the first time when we talked, our first episode, we actually focused a little bit on the importance of RNA-seq and whole transcriptome and why is this really important and so forth. So I, I think we're really now a year plus later. I want to try to let listeners know, number one, why is liquid profiling even important? And number two, what are we doing differently at Keras in terms of liquid profiling that they should look forward to? Yeah, great, great topic. So 
You know, li liquid biopsies are important because there are quite a significant number of patients uh, where you're unable to get a recent piece of the tissue. Uh, obviously, tissue biopsies are invasive. Um, they can have significant side effects. Uh, there's even an underlying mortality rate associated with them. Um, and so having easy access to what's going on in the tumor through the blood offers the opportunity to have a greater understanding of what the tumor is doing right now and how it's evolving in response to various therapeutic uh, pressures and interventions. Uh, and, and so that's the, the true promise of a liquid biopsy in that profiling setting. Uh, but it requires significant increases in the performance metrics of the um, existing technologies. So um, today, the liquid biopsies that exist are focused on measuring cell-free DNA. Um, and unfortunately, about 40% of late-stage cancer patients don't have sufficient amounts of cell-free DNA to actually run these tests. Um, and so uh, the existing technology is only able to produce answers on about 60% of patients. Um, that's leaving a lot of patients you know, untested uh, with you know, no improvement in their circumstance in terms of therapeutic selection. And so that was one of the questions uh, that we wanted to address with the development of our technology is, can we improve that? Can we get information out on more than 60% of patients and ideally all patients? Um, and so in the development of our approach to liquid biopsy, and one of the things that makes it very different is we've moved beyond testing just cell-free DNA. We are still testing cell-free DNA, but in addition to the cell-free DNA, we also add in the cell-free RNA component. Uh, and, and RNA is a very important molecule. So it has all the underlying components to DNA uh, in terms of a lot of the mutational features that are required to understand a patient's disease and treat uh, them accordingly. Uh, but it has some significant advantage as well in terms of the underlying information density um, per molecule. And so the way to think about that is in DNA, if you have one nanogram of DNA, you've got about 335 copies of each gene in that one nanogram. In one nanogram of RNA, you've got just over 10,000 copies of each gene. And so when you start to think about it, that's one of the great advantages of, of RNA is that information density. And that's because the DNA, only about 3% of it is from the coding region. You know, most of it is intronic and intergenic. Whereas, you know, it's that 3% that is transcribed into mRNA, uh, which is what we're measuring. And so inclusion of the mRNA in the liquid biopsy approach has shown to, in fact, solve this, uh, what's called the non-shedder problem. So uh, we're getting sufficient amounts of nucleic acid out of all the patients to be able to test. And so we don't refer to our test as a cell-free DNA test. Um, instead refer, refer to it as a circulating nucleic acid test, so a CNA test. Um, and that distinction is very important because it has a profound effect on the success rate of delivering information back to patients. So, but, so David, current liquid biopsy platforms that exist are not measuring RNA. They are not. They are only measuring the DNA. So you know, if, you have a, if you have a tumor that is a non-shedder, you are going to have many false negatives, I presume. That's correct. The sensitivity compared to tissue um, on average is sitting in that 50 to 55% range. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit when I think, if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, 
when you get just a tube or a couple of tubes of blood, I mean, are you able to get the entire transcriptome? Are you able to get that many genes with just like a 10 or 20 cc's of blood? Is that? Yeah, so of course, DNA is kind of uniformly distributed. So there's kind of a, a baseline stable amount that is equally represented across all the genes. Whereas RNA, as you're alluding to, is highly, highly variable in the amount of it. And so what we're seeing is that you can correlate the expression of the RNA in the blood back to the tumor for a subset of genes, not all of them, you know, maybe about 60% of them. Uh, but most importantly is that you know, it's not the expression that we really care about measuring in the blood. It's the underlying point mutations, insertion deletions, fusions, um, copy number variations, MSI, LOH that matter. And so when we take expression off the table, and just focus in on the ability to detect these mutations, you know, they're equally present in the RNA as well as the DNA. And so the nature of how these assays work uh, means that if you can get more material in the beginning, you have a much higher success rate and depth uh, at the end. So you know, if you try and just put a little bit of material into these uh, next generation sequencing assays, it has a much, much higher failure rate. And that's um, just due to the the nature of extraction due to the nature of uh, library preparation and sequencing. So um, having the RNA in there, it almost serves like a carrier molecule as well. So we get more DNA out of the reads by having the RNA there than if you do DNA alone, in addition to, of course, the extra information coming from the RNA. And, and, our, and, and in our, uh, what are you seeing in the lab right now in terms of concordance between blood and tissue from the same patient? Yeah, great question. So we just finished our first accuracy study there. And the accuracy is a function of the depth that you can achieve on any particular gene. And so with our assay, uh, we're targeting ideally around 3,000x depth of coverage, um, kind of a, a lower limit there, around 1,000x depth of coverage. Um, and we're seeing that you know we can get uh, into the 85 to 90% sensitivity range uh, with an approach like that. Um, and it's a function of, of material still. So, you know, in a subset of patients where we're able to get more than 30 nanograms of material, uh, we're seeing concordance, we're seeing sensitivities pushing 95%. Um, and the specificities uh, at all of these is, is virtually 100%. It's like 99.999. Um, so specificity is not the, the challenge in liquid biopsy for the most part, at least for our assay. It's, you know, maximizing that sensitivity. And so, uh, by going to this new format where we're doing both the cell-free DNA and the cell-free RNA, you know, we're seeing almost a 40% increase in sensitivity uh, with, in fact, some improvements in specificity. So the average concordance in tissue, you start to look at all the published studies, it's sitting in that 50 to 55% sensitivity uh, at about 95% specificity. So for us to be in that you know, 85 to 95% sensitivity at 99.99 specificity is, is truly a, a very significant um, development in terms of this new technology and approach. It's a vastly superior methodology. You know, it's interesting listening to you. I'm trying to think that if, if you have a lot of material, you can be, you don't need as much depth of coverage. If you have less material, you have to be more liberal depth of coverage. Am I getting this right or... Yeah, so it just comes down to depth of coverage is measuring the number of biological molecules. And so the more input you have, the more unique molecules you're putting in, 
the easier it is to find them, the greater the depth that you get. If you have less input and you try to sequence more, what you end up with is just getting more PCR duplicate events. So you're not getting any additional piece of information. You're measuring that same underlying biological input over and over again. Um, so it doesn't count. So we always have to strip out the PCR dupe rate when you're talking about uh, these things. And that's often not done um, in, uh, in many you know, assessments of uh, performance by, by some of these labs. But it's, uh, it's really important to strip out PCR dupe rates. You know, we've heard a lot, the, the general oncologists have heard a lot lately about the chips and how this is really interact with the liquid biopsies and so forth. I know. Can, can you, for, for, the, for, non, for the non-scientists, general oncologists listening to this, what, explain to us what does that mean and, and how did you get around it? Yeah, so when you start to look at the mutations that are present in the blood uh, plasma, um, we're finding a lot of mutations that appear to, like they could be somatic in origin. They could be from the cancer, um, but they're not in the tissue itself. And so there's a big question about what are these? Um, and so there's been some nice work done. You go in and you measure from the Buffy coat what's going on there. And you look for these um, low variant frequency mutations and you find lots of, lots of them there. And so uh, these uh, homeopoietic mutations are mutations in the white blood cells that build up over time. And so the number of them is highly correlated to the age of the patient. The older the patient gets, the more of these mutations they've accumulated. If you don't go to the extra step of measuring the Buffy code as well, uh, then you might think that you're looking at a somatic event, but it's not a somatic event from the cancer. It's a somatic event from a white blood cell. So it's not actually causing any harm to the patient. And so it's very important to subtract out those mutations uh, that are coming from, uh, from, you know, that are these chipped mutations. And so that reduces the false positives. That's one of the reasons why we were able to see, you know, that improvement in specificity with our approach, you know, from that kind of baseline 95% up to 99.99% is because there are a lot of false positives um, that are coming from an alternative source. They're biologically real, they're just not coming from the patient's cancer. So, so I'm struck by the um, concordance between tissue and blood. I mean, this is, this is great. And I, I realize that currently everyone who gets a biopsy, if you can get the tissue, you do the tissue, you still do the blood as well and, and so on. But if you have such concordance, do you envision in, in a year from now or in a couple of years, people might replace tissue biopsies completely with blood because you have such a concordance? Is this something even possible or do you see this as, as, as not unlikely? I think it's unlikely. Um, and the reason I think it's unlikely is because there's still information that you can only get from the tissue and not from the blood. And so a, a really good example of that would be pdl one testing, right? So if you're trying to measure pdl one there's no you know, gene alteration that is telling us whether or not the cancer is expressing it, or, you know, some of the pdl one interpretations are not even evaluating the cancer, but rather the intercalating leukocytes in the tissue itself. So the blood is not a replacement for, for the tissue, in my opinion. You know, I think we start off with, you know, sequencing the diagnostic biopsy that was used to, you know, identify the patient had cancer in the first place, understand as much of, about that kind of biological baseline as is possible. 
And then what blood is going to start to give us is the ability to monitor and to follow up on that without, you know, subjecting the patient to, to additional biopsies. But you know, we're still going to want to use that underlying tumor morphology and distribution, um, especially in the context of things like PDL1, uh, to understand more about the cancer. Any other things you're planning with the liquid profiling in terms of whether it's trials or additional things you're working on in terms of the pipeline over the next year or so? Yeah, so we've got some really exciting advances. So uh, we're just finishing the validation for tumor profiling, um, and we're getting ready to uh, submit our trials for monitoring and for minimal residual disease detection. So the assay that we built for the blood is measuring the whole exome and the whole transcriptome. Um, at incredible depth and with incredible sensitivity. And so that one assay that we've built can be used for a variety of different clinical contexts. So it can be used for therapy selection for late-stage cancer patients, but it can be used for minimal residual disease monitoring of an earlier-stage cancer that went through resection, um, or for monitoring where you've got a patient and you've put them on treatment and you're trying to figure out, is, is that treatment uh, effective or not? Uh, but even that is not the most exciting application of this technology. The most exciting application is in early diagnostics. And so uh, what we've been able to start to show already uh, is that with this approach, we can get sufficient amounts of signal out of uh, even, uh, even non-cancer patients. And so the ability to start to go in and identify that a person has cancer and what type of cancer it is, and really in many ways how to treat it is is truly an extraordinary technological breakthrough. Uh, and so uh, the most exciting study that we've embarked upon and we're collecting samples now for uh, is that early detection scenario where uh, if we do it right, you know, we should be able to theoretically you know, cure the world of cancer because if you can find it early enough, you can cut it out. Uh, now, obviously that would require you know, compliance of everyone in the world getting tested often uh, which isn't going to happen anytime soon, but it means that we have the technology available uh, to really win the war on cancer. In the other issues with the pipeline, I know that we're working on um, malignant hematology as well. That's that's also something in the pipeline that uh, our stakeholders should be looking forward to. Yeah, so that's a separate assay that we've built, um, and it is probably just a couple months away from full validation and launch. Um, that's the version of the assay or, or you know, very close to that is going to be submitted to the FDA as well. So um, the tumor assay that uh, is kind of our next generation assay there um, is comprehensive, completely comprehensive in design. So it's uh, capturing everything that the hematological malignancies require as well as the solid tumor. Great. So well, anything else we need to at least, I mean, this is really exciting, but anything else that I should have asked you about in terms of the pipeline liquid that we should cover and make sure we mention? Yeah, one last feature to the liquid biopsy that we created. So um, nobody else that I'm aware of is able to do loss of heterozygosity out of the blood. Uh, but we've completed that validation assessment as well. Uh, and we're able to determine um, if a patient has loss of heterozygosity status of their uh, tumor. And I think that's going to be incredibly important for, uh, you know, ovarian cancer patients, breast cancer patients, um, really anyone who's eligible to receive a PARP inhibitor. Uh, and so what we're able to start to find and extract from the blood is, is truly remarkable and, and really shows us that we're talking to the tumor through the blood. Uh, and so I think that's a very exciting feature of uh, the assay that we've developed and 
a testament to the truly uh, advanced technology that we've created uh, to make inroads in this front. And meanwhile, we're continuing to do stuff on the signature front. I mean, I think the hope is that after the MI GPS and the Fallfox AI, that there are additional signatures that we're able to identify. And, and uh, do you think that these, um, I mean, some of these signatures could be still discovered through blood if they don't need tissue, no? That's correct. Yep. We're going to be able to port all of those signatures, I think, over to blood. Um, that's one of the things that the high concordance rate tells us. Uh, is that whatever we're getting out of tissue, you know, on the next gen front, we should be able to uh, come really close to that uh, out of the blood. Well, exciting stuff. We'll see, uh, you know, I'll, you're going to be every year, we're going to bring you back as a guest. So, I mean, I don't know, you're, we'd have to see what you're going to come up with by next year, David. All right. That sounds good. We're going to keep pushing on the boundaries, right. advance the science, advance the medicine. Thank you so much for being on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining. I appreciate you tuning in to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I hope you enjoyed my episode with Dr. David Spetzler talking about the liquid biopsy and liquid profiling. You can let me know how the show is going by direct messaging me on Twitter at Chadi Nabhan, that's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, or by sending me an email to cnabhan at karisls.com. You could also definitely subscribe to the show, rate the show, write a brief review, and refer a friend or a colleague to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I very much appreciate your support. And until next time, take care of yourselves. Thank you.